Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. England's rivers are filled with a chemical cocktail of sewage, agricultural waste, and plastic. I find it upsetting when we're out and we see condoms, toilet paper and excrement floating in the sea. It's become a national scandal. Our waterways, our rivers, our streams, even the seas that surround us have become a dumping ground for raw sewage. An outflow pipe on the south coast of England pumps hour after hour of untreated sewage into a picturesque harbour. Just one of many similar instances that have appalled swimmers, water sports enthusiasts, fishers and environmentalists. Amid a public outcry, the Times launched its Clean It Up campaign three months ago, joining swimmers, surfers and campaigners to put pressure on the water companies to clean up their act. And now they've responded. I'm here on behalf of the water industry to say sorry. The industry body, Water UK, has today promised to spend £10 billion on what it claims will be the biggest modernisation of the sewers since the Victorian era. £10 billion in the next five years to manage rainwater surges better, to increase sewage treatment capacity, repair pipework, all the things critics said today they should have been doing with your money for decades. But is it enough to fix the problem? And why is it that despite towering bonuses in the water industry, we'll be paying for the repairs through our bills? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, are the water companies really making our rivers cleaner? an island nation right so beaches and the the bathing water around them is sort of it's always been important for a long time for leisure and economic activities rivers are for many people they're kind of one of their few natural spaces that they get to go to they've also kind of been for a long time arteries of the nation in terms of transport and i guess the thing about rivers is that a lot of people have family stories about them you know people who you know have They've lived by rivers and had generations of grandkids and so on swimming in the same rivers for years and years. So I I just think they're, they're part of our culture, you know, they're part of our sort of collective story, if you will. 
Adam Vaughan is the environment editor here at The Times. And while rivers and beaches have always played a big part of national life, they've played a pretty big role in his own life too. I think I've been doing wild swimming before it was called wild swimming, as far as, far as I know. I think when it was just it's called swimming the in the sea. Before newspapers got onto it. Yeah, before when it was just called swimming in the sea. I mean, my, my family, I was brought up on the south coast near Brighton and spent my childhood summers swimming in the sea on the beach. It was just what we did. It was how we socialised as a family. And then more latterly, during COVID, during the restrictions when you couldn't go anywhere apart from locally, I discovered paddleboarding a little bit and rivers uh, like the Ouse and places like Barkham Mills, which is relatively near where I live. It's all very bucolic apart from the days when <laughs> there's lots of uh, cow poo has been washed into the river and that's the days you have to make sure you keep your head above the water or you'll get ill the next day. And for a lot of people who are either wild swimming or paddleboarding, you know, enjoying the rivers, that has become a real concern now, the sense of them becoming polluted. And The Times has actually been running this campaign. Just tell us a bit about the campaign. Clean It Up is a campaign we launched in February and it quite naturally evolved out of the fact that the paper has run an air pollution campaign for years and that water quality and sewage pollution have just really come to the fore in recent months and public anger is a sort of all-time high, I think it's fair to say, as exemplified by community groups springing up all around the country, people sort of taking up arms and trying to take matters into their own hands and to try and improve their local rivers, their local beaches and so on. Take us back to the genesis of the problem. I mean, what is it that's actually polluting the rivers? Where does the problem come from? In England, the sort of statistic you need to know is that 16% of waterways don't meet good ecological status and that status is roughly like a sort of natural bit of water. There are many reasons that rivers and beaches don't meet good ecological status. And in terms of pollutant pressures, the main ones are farming is number one on that list, followed very closely by the water companies and then a long way down. But still notable is things like runoff from roads when you have various bits of dirt and pollution coming off roads during heavy rainfall and ending up in rivers. When you say the water companies, this is effectively sewage spills going directly into the river. In England, there's 10 sewage companies and the sources are what you've just said, which is a sort of highly visible bit, the sewage spills from these things called storm overflows. These are kind of like the relief valves, if you like, that were built as a sort of feature of the system rather than an accident. It was designed like this to spill at times of heavy rainfall into rivers and seas when capacity was overwhelmed. That's the highly visible bit. But there's also the bit that is arguably more material, but it's not so obvious, is the treated effluent that comes from sewage treatment works all around the country. And there is, despite improvements in the amount of pollutants which have been stripping out of that over the years, there is still pollution in that. And so it's the sheer volume of that is an issue as well. Wow. The Times recognised this was a very serious issue and has been running this campaign. Just talk us through what it's managed to achieve so far. So I think really we're capitalising on a lot of sort of momentum that campaigners have generated for years. I suppose some of the things that we would be considered successes are on transparency. So one thing we had recently was water companies pledging to all produce real-time maps of sewage spills by the end of the year. That's earlier than they needed to do. The legal deadline's 2025. 
Thames Water went first. They went in January this year. They started publishing a sort of map and, you know, it, it looked a little bit like a Christmas tree. It was sort of lit up with <laughs> green, yellow and red all over it of spills. And they obviously got a lot of flack for that because it suddenly made it highly visible where the spills were. That's quite important because it's not fixing the problem in and of itself. But one of our asks was to make information more easily accessible to people. So if you're thinking of going for a swim today or taking your dog for a walk down the river, then you have that information. So that's a start. And then probably the other big thing was last week when the water industry apologised for sewage spills and said it was going to spend 10 billion quid this decade, i.e. 2023 to 2030, on fixing the problem. Or at least, I say fixing the problem, going some way to fixing the problem. I'm here on behalf of the water industry to say sorry. We should have acted quicker. We should have acted faster. We should have acted to prevent the untreated water sewage going on into our rivers and onto our beaches. Now, that really is a big moment. That's a proper achievement to have these water companies pledging proper, serious amounts of money to try and fix the problem. Just tell us what they sort of set out with this 10 billion. What will they be doing with it? So it's relatively mundane things that most people won't see. It's things like storm tanks, for example. So these take sort of different shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's literally a sort of metal tower. Sometimes there's a big sort of concrete hole in the ground. And these are places on sewage treatment works where because our way our sewers were designed by the Victorians and generally were done until about the 1960s, we have these combined sewers which take sewage and rainfall together. So when you get a bit of heavy rainfall, as we you know do tend to do in this country, that all rushes down, and sometimes the sewage treatment works is just doesn't have enough capacity, so it has to. Some of it has to end up going somewhere else, and if it's not going to go in homes and businesses, it's going to go in rivers and seas. And so this these storm tanks will mean that a certain amount of that water will be taken and stored until the rain subsides and then it can go through the normal treatment process and so it doesn't end up being you know, raw sewage being spilled. That's just one example, but basically a lot of infrastructure that will hopefully curb the number of spills coming from storm overflows. Last year, there was just over 300,000 sewage spills across England. The water companies reckon this 10 billion quid will cut that number by 140,000 a year. So that is material if that comes to pass. Yeah, so it's almost reducing it by half. Yeah, almost, if their estimates are right in terms of the impact, yes. I mean, did that feel like a, a major victory for the campaign? I think it was a big moment, there's no doubt about it. You know, this is Water UK sort of striking a more humble note and saying we're going to spend you know, this money. I think it's obviously good news and so it should be welcomed and I sort of spent the day afterwards doing TV and radio interviews saying as much. I think, you know, obviously campaigners were saying... It's not enough and who will pay, which I'm sure is something we can talk about. But I, I guess the only sort of caveat to it all is that it's not charity. This is roughly in line with what the water companies were going to have to do anyway under government targets. And what have the campaigners said? Because there's been quite a lot of very vociferous campaigning around this issue for a while now. Was this enough to please some of the people who have really taken this issue on? It was. You know, I reached out ahead of the announcement and talked to people like um, the Rivers Trust and River Action and Surfers Against Sewage and other groups. And a lot of them were clear that they welcomed it. 
and you know the apology maybe was long overdue but on the money side most of them were sort of generally positive it's w- worth saying that some individuals the undertone singer turned water campaigner Fergal Sharkey amongst them they were much angrier and not impressed I think it's fair to say I don't think it is an apology Mm. at all I've heard no apology for the absolutely desperate state these rivers are now in because of their actions and their activities over the last 30 years it's interesting to me because if you can't welcome this then I'm not sure what you can welcome if you see what I mean (laughs) And 10 billion is a lot of money to be stumping up in one go. Do you know how it'll be funded? The big question now is obviously who pays. The deal with privatisation is that we pay. (laughs) So you and I will be paying Manveen and members of the public. So the average bill is in England, annual bill is £448 a year. And it's clear those will go up modestly, the industry says. I've heard everything from the government's calculation is that its plan means bills will probably go up by about £12 a year by 2030. I heard analysts saying that it could be as much as £30 a year following this £10 billion announcement. So I think it's in the region of some, somewhere around there. I was told that the £30 figure was at the higher end of things. So clearly bills are going to go up a bit. There is going to be a big debate, obviously, about how much the companies shoulder the cost, is it, or the burden through dividends and profits and pay and so on. That is a really important issue. I mean, I don't want to sound ungrateful. I think <laughs> a lot of people, you know, if it is £12 spread out over a year, it's not bank-breaking for most people. And it is an issue that everyone's really concerned about. But at the same time, you know, we haven't been hearing quite a lot about the sort of profits and the sort of dividends that water companies have been able to enjoy. Tell us a bit about that. What are the sums here? We know from analysis by the Financial Times of the incredibly Byzantine ownership structures of all the companies that about £1.4 billion in dividends were paid out. That was last year. And we know the profits, the returns the companies make are sort of 4%, which um, Ruth Kelly, the new chairwoman of Water UK, the trade body that represents all the water companies across the UK, including the privatised ones in England and Wales. (laughs) She was on Times Radio and when I was on speaking about all this and she said, Well, now that's only a little bit more. Uh, than you'd make if you put your money into a bank account. Yeah. Uh, and a little bit less than if you, uh, perhaps, than if you put it into an investment account. Which is, I think, a little bit of a tone deaf thing to say. The waters companies like to point out that their returns are lower than um, some other sectors, such as energy and telecoms and so on. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be a massive focus on whether that is the right amount. Yeah. And it does mean that they're still enjoying profits and bonuses, we're told. You know, the average pay for the head of a water company last year was more than a million pounds, all at a time when they're polluting rivers. Yeah, I mean, she, Ruth Kelly made the point that last year, three of them lost money. Three of uh, the 10 water and sewage companies across England and Wales actually lost money last year. The flip side of that is is the others all, all made money. Coming up, how did we get here? And how bad was water pollution before privatisation? That's in just a moment. Hold up. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Adam, just stepping back a bit, you know, I think to understand, like, where this problem begins and and how it's played out. You know, at the moment, we're dealing with a number of private water companies across the country. Just take us back to when privatisation happened. And what was the situation like before it happened? The water companies were privatised in England and Wales in 1989 under Margaret Thatcher's government. And this is part of a sort of ideological push to privatise a lot of things. Obviously, from a household or consumer's point of view, you can't shop around for your water, right? It's local by nature. You don't have a choice. These are regulated monopolies. Part of the thinking at the time in privatising the sector was uh, that the Treasury could see that various European laws were going to mean that water quality needed to be improved, particularly around beaches and bathing waters. So the Treasury could see that there was billions of pounds of expenditure coming its way. So that fit with the wider uh, idea of privatising things at the time. But it was also a way of getting someone else to pay for a load of infrastructure that was going to need to be built. That's really interesting. So does that mean pre-privatisation, the water quality was pretty awful too? It's important to remember that although there is a lot of concern about water pollution now, in the historical arc of things, it's improved. So look at the number of bathing waters around the coast and... In the 90s, a relatively small percentage of them met the standards. Now, almost all of them meet the minimum standard. And in addition to that, the standards have been ratcheted up. So they were moved up a bit in the in the last decade or so. That is clearly an improvement. Rivers is not such a pretty picture as the uh, beaches. There have been improvements there, though, as well. You know, you look at the phosphate levels, which is this sort of nutrient pollution that comes from sewage plants and comes from farming. If you have too much of it, you end up with these algal blooms that effectively choke fish and other freshwater life because they get rid of the oxygen. And you had massive reductions of phosphate in the noughties. It's worth remembering things have improved. It's just people's expectations have changed and people's use of rivers has changed, I think, as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm now worried about what you and your family were swimming around in <laughs> when you were growing up. But, you know, the, the other important part when you're looking at the privatization model and what came before, as you said, these became regulated monopolies. So even though people wouldn't have much choice, they thought regulation would fill the gap and would force these water companies to meet certain standards. Is that where things are going wrong? Is it just that the regulator hasn't been very good at monitoring how these companies are performing? or holding them to account. So regulation is a big thing here and there are several regulators it's quite complicated. The main two there's more than two but the main two are the environment agency which does what it's, it sounds like and then you've got the economic regulator which is off what which is there to make sure that people's bills are affordable and it, it sort of controls how much the water companies can spend. They can't spend more than it allows them to over these five yearly periods. From my conversations over the last few months, received wisdom is that off what maybe prioritised keeping bills down too much over the last 13 years or so at the expense of the sort of environmental improvements that we needed to see in terms of curbing sewage spills and the rest of it. So is that partly the government's fault? Were they just given the remit to worry about sort of consumer bills more than about all the other duties of a water company? That is partly the government's fault. Because off what answers to political masters, the environment secretary is Therese Coffey at the moment. And it does, you know, without making it political, the period we're talking about does overlap with the coalition years and the Conservative Party being in power since 2010. But it's fair to say that there were issues with water pollution under Labour as well. It's just that a lot of the problems we've seen have emerged in the last sort of 13 years or so. Given that the privatised companies have been in charge for a while, and as you say, if anything, you know, water quality has actually got a little bit better than it was pre-privatisation. When did this suddenly become such a big issue here? So a lot of the improvements were driven by European law. And then in terms of it becoming a big issue, I would probably say the last five years or so. That was partly because of the issue of sewage spills has become much more visible. Obviously, sometimes you can literally see it happening. The chances of being around to see sewage coming out of a pipe into a river are relatively small. But what we've had since 2016 is increased monitoring of storm overflows. So a certain element of it is the invisible has been made visible. And by the end of this year, we'll have all storm overflows have monitoring. So it'll be 100% monitored. A certain amount of it is people who didn't necessarily use their nearby waterway discovering their local river for you know whether that's for swimming walking alongside it kayaking whatever and then part of it is the rise of local groups so those people getting concerned and organizing themselves into organizations like Windrush against uh, sewage pollution or Whitstable SOS or Save Windermere so that's been massive a massive part of it I think those campaigners and in terms of our expectations, I mean, are we right to be concerned? It's not just that we're we're noticing a problem that's been there for much longer. You know, it's not just that we're monitoring it more. But, you know, how do we compare, for example, to the rest of Europe? Do we have a serious problem here? So generally speaking, when you pe speak to people in the water industry and when you look at the sort of data, you can look at the European Environment Agency data and compare that against things like the Environment Agency here and Natural Resources Wales. And... We're roughly middle of the pack for European countries. This is very crude and there's some exceptions to this, but broadly speaking, 
you've got the sort of southern European countries at the bottom, and then you've got places like the UK and Germany and the Netherlands, sort of roughly middling on environmental performance and the state of the rivers. And then you've got the Nordics, which have much better water quality. Earlier on, you mentioned Ruth Kelly, who works for Water UK. She said recently that the water industry should have acted faster. It was sort of a mere culpa. But even if the water companies were to completely tighten up their act, that wouldn't necessarily make our rivers any cleaner. No, and that's a hugely important point, Manveen. So even if you fix all the spills, that's only one element of the pollution pressure from water companies. And water companies are only one part of the jigsaw of pressures on our rivers and waterways. So you don't fix it just by this alone. It's going to be a decades-long, nightmarishly complex piece of 3D chess where you're trying to reduce all these pressures from farmers to new housing developments to sewage treatment plants. And from what you've described in terms of the problem, you know, whether it is exactly that farming, new housing and, and sewage treatment plants, mm. or even sort of, you know, the pressure on water companies and how they should behave and how they should be regulated. It does feel like, you know, successive governments have kind of taken their eye off the ball. What are the politicians saying about it now? What are their policies to try and fix the problem? The Liberal Democrats are interesting because they've made this one of their top three issues along with cost of living and health. Their leader, Ed Davey, has sort of gone hell for leather on this. I think the water companies have got away with blue murder, frankly. They've been making huge profits. The bosses have been getting uh, massive bonuses. We're seeing pollution in our rivers and lakes. On all accounts, they've been failing our, our country uh, and we need some tough measures on them. They talk a good talk about how they would make companies spend more and are putting some sort of new onus on companies to do environmental benefits. They're talking about putting some sort of environmental advisor on a role of some sort on every board of every water company. Labour talk a lot about automatic fines for when spills happen. I think it's fair to say Labour will probably set out more policy on this before the general election. The Conservatives, their stance has been to say... We have done lots more monitoring. You wouldn't have known about this problem if it wasn't for us. And that is true, but I don't think as a sort of sell to voters, people want to hear that the problem's being fixed and it's reduced. And I guess the government would point to things like the the storm spills reduction plan that I talked about that came out last year. But I think they've gone on too much about saying, oh, we're all about, we've, we know about this problem now because of the monitoring and they need to talk more about what they're going to do to fix it. Are you seeing any sort of serious solutions being put forward by politicians? I'm hearing a lot of rhetoric. I mean, Labour sort of did a sort of stunt the other week where they tried to sort of push the government into voting against a a sewage bill. And there was, you know, it was quite funny watching sort of politicians of all stripes falling over each other to say who cared the most about rivers and who was the most disgusted by sewage being spilled and the rest of it. Our national parks, our areas of outstanding natural beauty, home to our stunning lakes and our rivers that are the arteries of our nation, all being sullied by the Tory sewage scandal. The public are rightly disgusted by the excessive sewage discharges from storm overflows. So am I. So are my colleagues on this side of the house. Indeed, I think that's true across everybody in this house. And so is this government. 
that debate didn't shed a lot of light, I don't think. We've still got a way to go in terms of fleshing out policies ahead of an election on this. And for you, Adam, I mean, you've spent a long time, you know, through this campaign and and even before that, looking at the problem, talking to experts, talking to all the people who are involved in trying to address the problem. Mm. What do you think the solutions are? Are there potential ideas that are out there that are either being done in other parts of the world or that scientists are talking about that aren't being adopted yet? I think one of the interesting things which partly is being taken up but only in a tiny way at the moment is designated bathing waters so one of the campaigns asks has been to have more of these what happens you get better monitoring between may and september the bathing season for two types of harmful bacteria including e coli the idea of that is that greater awareness sort of leads to efforts locally to improve water quality we've been calling for more of those and there's a group of tory mps the conservative environment network who are calling for a target for the number of those and the water companies themselves are quite keen on these and I I think the interesting thing about these as a sort of solution is not just what they do in of themselves but the fact that they bring people together by nature they're very local it's like you know one stretch of river local people have to prove how many people swim in that area they have to prove there's some basic facilities like toilets and so on so people don't just all go and pee in the river and make the thing problem worse what that tends to do is bring together a lot of local people from different walks of life farmers and landowners are going to be important in this along with the water companies along with you know just normal people who just want to enjoy their local waterways the reality is we don't fix any of this in the long run unless we all sort of work together without sounding too cheesy You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Environment Editor at The Times, Adam Vaughan. If you're a subscriber, you can follow The Times' Clean It Up campaign and read all of Adam's reporting around the subject. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.